0: Thank oh. you. Welcome to the Birthful Podcast. I'm Adriana Lozada, and today we'll be talking all about the pelvic floor. During pregnancy, your growing uterus and baby put extra pressure on your pelvic muscles. What can you do to keep those muscles in good working order so that they hold the pee in, let the baby slide out, and remain toned during postpartum and beyond? Lisa Gillespie has answers. Stay tuned. This episode of Birthful is brought to you by Molly Deutschbein of Spirit Organic. Check out all of her fabulous abdominal and cranial sacral therapy offerings at spiritorganic.net. Want the next birthful episode to be brought to the world by you? Then go to patreon.com slash birthful and check out all of the rewards. The Birthful Podcast. Talking to maternity pros to inform your intuition. Hello, mighty mamas and mamas to be. As always, thank you for listening and for all the love you give the show. You may remember from last week that I had just set up a Patreon page as a way for you to support my podcast efforts more directly and also for us to be in closer contact. If you want to know more about that, go to patreon.com slash birthfall where you will you'll get all the nitty gritty details but know that there are a lot of sponsorship levels starting with just $1 per month. And aside from helping to keep the podcast available and free for Mighty Mamas around the world, this will allow us to be closer connected by giving you access to access to the Patreon private activity feed. Or if you pledge $5 per month, then you'll get to be the sponsor of a birthful episode, just like Molly Deutschbain of Spirit Organic did this week. What Molly does is that she helps women through fertility, pregnancy, and postpartum with abdominal and sacral therapies. She also helps baby tongues have maximum range of motion for more efficient sucking and less colic. Who doesn't want that? So let me give an enormous shout out to Molly for supporting the podcast. And to learn how you can support the podcast as well, go to patreon.com slash birthful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So recently, I received an email from Jordan saying she discovered the podcast while pregnant, and binge listened to a lot of the older episodes. She says the ones that focus on breastfeeding were hugely helpful to her, and that she give, she gave birth at home to a healthy, happy eight-pound baby boy in January. Yay! Congratulations, Jordan! Since then, she has found herself returning to certain episodes when she needs a reminder or a refresher, which is so great. Makes me so happy she finds the podcast helpful still after having the baby and you know, all these months in. Um, Jordan also requested that I do a shows on jaundice, on postpartum doulas, and on understanding the pelvic floor. So I hope Jordan, Jordan, if you're listening, enjoy today's show, which is on pelvic floor health with none other than the amazing Lisa Gillespie. I always want to say Gillespie, but it's not. It's Gillespie. Lisa Gillespie is passionate about helping women feel comfortable during pregnancy, giving birth more easily, and enjoying life after birth. In her work with women online and in person, she uses cranial sacral therapy, corrective exercises, and somatic experiencing to help them improve their movement and alignment patterns and experience less pain and more ease in their daily life. She is a Nutritious Movement Certified Restorative Exercise Specialist, Cranial Sacral sacral Therapist, and somatic experiencing student living in Columbus, Ohio with her husband and almost seven-year-old daughter. She can often be found walking barefoot through her neighbor's yard and is usually the only adult playing on the playground equipment. Lisa, so glad to have you here. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Yay. So it's so funny with the walking around barefoot because that's one of the things that I miss the most. Um, I'm originally from Venezuela, so I would do that a lot more down home, Mm -hmm. but in cold Rochester, yes, (laughs) with the winter, we don't get to do that much. Yes, Um, And I had a a side note experience, but my husband and I lived on a sailboat for a year, Mm. and I got to say, that's the happiest my feet have ever been because we were barefoot for days. Mm -hmm. Mm. Why is it so important to be barefoot?
1: Well, our feet have 33 joints joints in each foot. And each of those joints is designed to mold around the surface that our foot comes in contact with. And it's the first place that our body has to begin to adjust to that surface. And then other joints further on up have to make their adjustments. Most of us have feet that have been in shoes, also known as casts to a, to an effect. And because of that, we've lost a lot of the mobility of those joints and we've lost a lot of mobility in the feet in general to be able to mold around varying surfaces. And then we have other joints that have to pick up the slack for that. So we have ankles and knees and hips and our spine that have to accommodate variable surfaces. And we also have to take into consideration a lot of us are not encountering a variety of surfaces these days because we tend to walk on flat level sidewalks. So when we do encounter something that's uneven, we're more susceptible to losing our balance, we're more susceptible to falling. And we need to have all parts of our body working well and working as they were intended it's a part of our body that should have good brain body control good blood flow good circulation to that area so it's it's important and it's also important to pelvic floor health in a roundabout way because the body is all interconnected and all parts of the body impact each other
0: right so I was going to ask you about because I know it was Uh, like a big segue of talking about (laughs) the foot. Um, But yeah, how how does... So everything is connected. We're here to talk about pelvic floor health. Why is pelvic floor health important?
1: Well, the pelvis is a part of our body and we need all parts of our body to be working well. The pelvic floor in particular helps to support our pelvic organs. It helps to keep things from moving out that we don't want to move out. So it keeps us from leaking urine or having bowel movements at inappropriate times. It also is designed to be able to relax and to allow those things to happen, to allow menses flow to pass out, to allow urine to pass out, to allow us to have a bowel movement, and to allow a baby to pass out through the vagina. So the pelvis has all of these really key, important roles, and it also works to help in concert with the other muscles of the pelvis, help to stabilize our pelvis. So it offers support, and it is a gateway for many functions, and then it also helps stabilize Uh, our pelvis as well. And like many areas of our body, we tend to not think about them until they're not working well. So most people... Don't think very much about their pelvis until they're having symptoms, whether it's pressure, whether it's discomfort during intercourse, whether it is um, they sneeze and they pee, sneeze and they pee. Absolutely. Or they can't jump on the trampoline with their kids anymore because they're worried about leaking pee. Um, And that's when most women start to realize all is not well down there in an area that for the most part we tend to take for granted.
0: Mm -hmm. Right. And especially when you're going through pregnancy and birth and all that, there's different forces added to your pelvic floor, right? Exactly. So the pelvic floor
1: has to be able to support... A growing baby um, it has to be able to support a uterus that is enlarging and it has to be able to help support the pelvis that is now a little more mobile than it used to be and so we've got a variety of tasks that the pelvis it's not that they're really that different from what the pelvis should be doing, but we're kind of upping the ante with pregnancy. So we're asking more of our pelvic floor during pregnancy. And then we're also preparing for birth and when we're going to have to have the pelvic floor relax enough and stretch enough to allow for the passage of the baby. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's a lot that is going on with the pelvic floor in particular at that point in a woman's life that makes it uh, really, really important.
0: So is there, because I, and, and looking at also, you know, as you're talking, different ideas are coming to my mind because I've spoken, for example, to Gail Tully. And, mm-hmm. I, and I know the importance of a good alignment and space within the pelvic bowl And those tendons and tissues so that, and the pelvis itself, so that baby can better flow through it, you know, the Mm -hmm. physics of baby through pelvis can become easier if things aren't kinked. Um, So it it seems doubly important in in not just for the health of the pelvic in terms of rebounding or being toned, but also like you said, allowing things to relax and be able to be in optimal health so that that baby can go through easier. Right. Yeah. And we have a lot of women these days that
1: carry a lot of tension in their bodies in general, but especially in the pelvic floor. And we are moving in ways these days that are... Uh, contributing to pelvic floors that are not at an optimal length. And when a muscle is not at an optimal length, its ability to generate force, so in the case of the pelvic floor, the ability of those muscles to generate force to be able to support what they need to support is compromised. And then their ability to relax and lengthen and stretch is also compromised. And if you think about walking around with your fist clenched all of the time, if somebody were to toss you a ball, your ability to catch the ball would be compromised because your fist is, or your hand is in this fist that's clenched. And our pelvic floor needs to be able to respond to a variety of activities and forces that are being placed upon it. Just throughout our day, you can think of, we spend time sitting in a chair. So the activity that the pelvic floor has to do is fairly minimal and it's, pretty supported by the chair or the couch. And then we stand and standing asks a little bit more of the pelvic floor muscles. And we may walk, which asks a little bit more. We may cough or sneeze. And those are sudden contractions that the pelvic floor needs to be able to respond to. We may have to chase after a kid or Uh, run to catch a plane something like that so we've got a running force and that requires a greater response from the pelvic floor muscles to support the structures as we do that activity. And ideally, we're moving through all of those activities or a wide range of activities throughout our day. And the pelvic floor is getting lots of opportunity to respond to a wide range of activities, which is part of what helps to condition the pelvic floor. And so then when it comes time to grow a baby and when it comes time to birth a baby we've got a pelvic floor that has been working all of our life and is in good shape so to speak to be able to respond to these events that are now happening however because of the lifestyle that we are living these days which is a fairly sedentary lifestyle which is often has very little variety of movement in it and also for many of us is a rather high stress lifestyle. We have a nervous system that is a little bit more on edge. We have muscles that aren't being used in the wide range that they are designed to be used in. And all of that then shows up as excess tension, muscles that aren't able to yield appropriately. Uh, We've got different imbalances that are impacting the structures as well in terms of some muscles don't have the strength you need to offer the support. Other muscles lack the mobility that they need. So we we're somewhat out of balance. And then we put an event like pregnancy and birth on top of that structure. And it can be a real challenge for women as a result of all of that.
0: So what are the things that you know, so that these these circumstances that you just mentioned that that's how an, a most common western pelvic floor getting ready for birth that's that's the state that it's living in mm-hmm. um what going into birth like that, what are those some of the things that can create problems or are common occurrences that can happen that make it difficult that make birth difficult? <laughs> No, that can, yeah, that can impact, you know, that's the, the that state of the pelvic floor, how it can impact either good or bad um, birth and also afterwards. Sure.
1: So if we have a pelvic floor that has uh, a lot of tension in it, that is in a shortened state where the muscles aren't able to yield well, then... There is the potential for, and I'm gonna say this is absolutely not written in stone because birth is a mystery in many ways. And um, sometimes things happen differently than what we would predict. So I wanna put that caveat Mm -hmm. there as well. Um, But we could have an extended pushing stage where um, if the pelvic floor is really tight and the baby's head is trying to come out, the pelvic floor isn't able to relax to accommodate that. So we could have that because of movement habits. We could have that because of stress habits. We could also have that because of trauma history, which is going to have an impact on muscle tension. Um, And then we could have tearing of the pelvic floor musculature as well, which postpartum can... Ask more of the mom when she's already trying to tend to a new little one and to be present for a new little one and then having to heal from uh, pelvic floor injury, whether that's tearing, um, pulling away of muscle from the pelvis, uh, worst case scenario. So we've got just more time required for healing, more uh, limitations to movement and needing to take it easy to allow time for healing. So it's, it's a less than ideal scenario. It's, it's a much more challenging scenario for a mom to have to work with when she really wants to be present for her baby and enjoying this beautiful newborn period. Um, so helping women prevent this is really in everyone's best interest. And looking at the factors that contribute to this, there's a lot that women can do to optimize the function of their pelvic floor before birth and even before pregnancy so that um, they're setting themselves up to be in the best possible situation prior to giving birth and they can minimize injuries and they can um, help to support their recovery from birth. As well.
0: Mm-hmm. So, what are some of those things that they can do yes. <laughs> before pregnancy and before birth? Absolutely. So,
1: number one thing that I tell women, and you know, this is really everyone in general, uh, they, and it's a super easy thing to do in some respects. It's, it can be emotionally challenging, but I encourage women to get out of shoes that have an elevated heel. Because when we're in footwear that raises the heel, and if you look at your shoes surprisingly enough, this is not just i'm not just talking about what we classically consider to be high heels because that's that's an easy thing that that it, or an obvious thing I should say, but a lot of our regular shoes even sneakers have a one to two inch elevated heel there's a lot of cushion under the heel and when we wear those shoes it changes the position of our pelvis and it changes the way we carry our body and in particular the way we carry our baby so something as simple as that can change the amount of support that your uterus has from your abdominal muscles as it is growing and developing and it can also potentially impact the position of the baby so getting out of shoes with an elevated heel is step number 1 i also encourage women to pay attention to how they're sitting we tend to sit a lot so if we can break up the quantity of time that we spend sitting so that we're not sitting for more than 30 minutes at a time without a break, which can be a bit challenging because it's easy to get sucked into what we're doing. But taking breaks, taking movement breaks, taking a short walk is really important for our bodies. And then when we are sitting, paying attention to the fact that how we're sitting. So are we sitting with our pelvis tucked under so that we're asking our sacrum and the back of our pelvis to support a lot of our weight? Or, which is less than ideal, or can we sit so that we're asking the bottom of our pelvis to support us. So we're on the base of the pelvis, also known as the ischial tuberosity or the sit bones. And if you're sitting, you can kind of rock back and forth and just feel the bony boundaries of the bottom of the pelvis. And that's what you really want to be supporting your weight when you're sitting. And it gets a little tricky when we sit on a couch or on a nice cushy chair and prop our feet up because those positions are really conducive to tucking the pelvis under. And when we do that and we're supporting more of our weight on our sacrum, we're altering the support of the pelvic floor muscles because some of the pelvic floor muscles attach to the front of the sacrum which is that triangular shaped bone between the left and right halves of your pelvis in the back. And when we're, there's still some mobility between The sacrum and the left and right halves of your pelvis, which some people may be familiar with as the sacroiliac joints. And those joints have some mobility and those joints can be a vulnerable place for women, especially during pregnancy. And so if we're weight bearing on that area, we have the potential to alter the length of the pelvic floor musculature. And we also have a potential of tweaking the sacroiliac joints and kind of Contributing to some of the uh, lack of stability in that area. So, sitting up on the base of the pelvis is really important for setting the pelvic floor up well when we do sit and also the sacroiliac joints. So, getting out of shoes, decreasing your sitting time or breaking up your sitting time, and then also when you sit, watching how you sit. And I really encourage people to vary their sitting position as much as possible. So sitting on the floor is a really nice option that is not as comfortable as sitting on the couch, which is actually a good thing because you're more likely to change your position more frequently, which is good for our bodies. We have bodies that are designed to move and we have bodies that are designed to move a whole, whole bunch. And very few of us in today's society are moving the amount that our body requires for optimal function. So any way we can weave in a little bit more movement is a good thing. And sitting on the floor is a easy way to do that. Um, and just break up our sitting positions and vary our sitting positions. Mm
0: -hmm. And as you were talking, I was straightening myself up on my chair and making Mm -hmm. sure I was sitting yeah <laughs> on those sit yeah. bones yeah. what about um we often hear recommended for pregnant moms to and i guess for anybody to uh use also those exercise balls to sit mm-hmm. on as a chair yeah
1: i think that is certainly an option um there's not really one thing that is going to be ideal for sitting um there's not one perfect chair. We uh, come from somewhat of an ergonomics uh, contribution to our culture and our society that you know, we need a chair that is going to do for us good things. And those chair ergonomics comes from the perspective of how can we keep your body relatively comfortable so that you can work for long periods of time in one position, which is different than looking at what is best for optimal function and health of the body so those those are not working being comfortable working in one position for long periods of time is not the same as what supports optimal function and health of our body
0: that is such an aha moment for me right now of like of course this is making you comfy for sitting for hours on end so that your body doesn't hurt yes exactly
1: um so a ball sitting on a ball is great um sitting on you know any chair I probably shouldn't say any chair but most chairs are just fine for sitting on and and really we're looking at how are you holding your body in that chair. And when we think about a comfy chair, we often want something that offers us a lot of back support and that we can really lean into and that requires our muscles to work minimally in order to hold our body up. But our muscles are designed to work. We want them to work. And so, you know, ideally our muscles should be strong enough to support our back. And that can be a a process for people. When I first began sitting on the floor more and breaking up my chair sitting with floor sitting, I couldn't comfortably sit on the floor for any length of time, maybe 10 minutes tops without my low back getting cranky or without needing to sit with something behind my back to offer some support. And as I have developed my muscle strength and developed my capacity for my muscles to support my body, then now I can sit quite comfortably on the floor without any back support and um, not need extra things to Mm -hmm. support my body in the process.
0: Which is great feedback for yourself, too, because, oh, this is making a difference.
1: Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Strengthening stuff. Yeah. So
0: Getting back to the to the pregnant woman, there is this big, con well, not not big, but often heard debate of, you know, you should be doing Kegels, doing Kegels, and then it became no, don't do Kegels, squat instead, or do you do Kegels, do your squat, and now it's like, don't, no, it's not about squatting. So, can you shed light on all of that?
1: Sure, I would be happy to. <laughs> She's oh. like, please let me <laughs> let me shed light. <laughs> <laughs> I want to. I'm going to preface this by saying I think it's really, really important that we take a broader perspective of the pelvic floor and that we stop looking at the pelvic floor as this piece of the body that is isolated from the rest of the body. And instead, look at it in a more holistic perspective that our pelvic floor is a reflection. Of what's going on throughout the rest of our body and so we as a society love our quick fixes and we love to be told just bottom line it for me give me the three things I need to do to fix this problem and so kegels were a great solution you know okay I sneeze and I pee so I'm just gonna be really diligent about doing my kegels and then we started to get some additional information that was looking at, you know, why is the pelvic floor weak in the first place? Why is it not responding appropriately when we do sneeze and keeping the sphincters closed so that we don't leak? And so then squats became the new darling and squats were looked at as this really great, wonderful thing because it was a more whole body approach to the pelvic floor and so then there became this trend of stop the kegels and instead of doing your 200 kegels now do 200 squats a day and unfortunately i think while well, i think squats are great i don't think that squats were ever um promoted as the one thing that people need to do to have a healthy public floor or a strong public floor and Katie Bowman my alignment mem- mentor is one of the big proponents of squatting and she um she never intended i think i can say this on her behalf for squats to replace kegels or for people to think that the only thing they needed to do to have a strong, healthy pelvic floor was squatting. But rather instead, squatting needs to be considered as one of the movements that we should be doing regularly throughout our day, in addition to a lot of other movements. And when we are moving well, then our pelvic floor muscles are able to Respond appropriately and are at the level of strength that they need to be at to do the functions that they need to do. And the challenge that people run into with squats is that they have a body that probably hasn't squatted for a while, or they may have a body that has uh, squatted at the gym, so they may have done a few sets of squats, two to three times a week, which is quite different than if we look at the human of, uh, shall we say, the hunter-gatherer human. They were squatting to pick things up off of the floor. They were squatting to bathroom. They were squatting when they were tending the fire. They were squatting throughout their day with a somewhat, um, with regular frequency and is, that's going to provide different benefits than squatting three times a week for three sets of 10 reps. Um, it's kind of, if you, if you look at this in the nutrition, um, if we apply a nutrition model to this and we think, all right, Um, kale is really healthy for me. So I'm going to make sure that during my McDonald's diet, I'm going to get three meals three times a week, or three meals during my week of kale. And that's going to take care of my nutrition requirements. That's rather absurd. Nobody would say that um, eating three bowls of kale a week is going to counteract the effects of eating a predominantly fast food diet. So squatting a few times a week isn't going to undo the effects of a sedentary lifestyle. And We may not even be able to absorb the nutrients from kale because we've been eating fast food all this time and we might not be able to squat in a way that supports the function of our pelvic floor because we have bodies that haven't moved for a really long time. So people... Often, the, the clients that I work with and my students often need to do a lot of prep work, and we tend to think, oh, well, prep work isn't as good as actually doing a squat, but I I beg to differ. There is so much benefit that people reap from helping their bodies be able to move in ways that allow them to squat well and that allow them to start to really get pelvic floor benefits from doing their squats and one of the big benefits that squats have to offer is it can they can help strengthen the glutes and the glutes help to stabilize the sacrum and they help to stabilize the attachment point of the pelvic floor muscles that attach on the sacrum so squatting is one thing walking is another thing and all of these movements offer great benefits to our pelvic floor and sometimes women with prolapse can't do a full squat without feeling like they're bearing down so they may need to modify their squat until they're able to their body is able to do a full squat without increasing um Downbearing bearing pressure and aggravating their prolapse. So squats are great. And I think they also need to be really appreciated in the broader context of movement rather at, than being the one end-all be-all thing that's going to strengthen the pelvic floor.
0: Mm-hmm. And it's really like, I love everything you said, and I love squats as well. And I love kale, but I love squats- <laughs> because but it makes sense if we were looking at that you know woman in the grass hut that Mm -hmm. doesn't have chairs Mm -hmm. and squatting is part of what you do chairs as great as they are they've gotten in our way a lot in terms of that mobility so then if we're not squatting to go to the bathroom, you know, however many times a day and to cook our food because the fire pit is down low and to do all these things, then if we're not used to squatting, forget it. What you were talking about. You know, the hamstrings might be tight, the as we go down we tuck our tailbones instead of sticking them out and just yep. have not good form in a squat. So then that's exactly. really not helping you. Right. When you do it a couple of times a week or a day right. even.
1: Yeah, it's it's basically you're moving in a way that reinforces the tension patterns that you already have that are creating or contributing to the issues that you're trying to correct by doing the squat. Uh, Which is why prep work can be so valuable because it allows people to move a little bit differently and to get the benefits out of what they're doing.
0: Mm -hmm. So then to start, it's reviewing what you said, you know, no heels or, or, or f- any shoe that lifts your heel up. Try to avoid. Mm-hmm. Then move as much as you can. Break up your sitting time. And then for this, if you're looking into prep work, what's a, where's a good place to start if you're going to try to incorporate squats or try to do a little bit of that more focused movement?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So one really simple thing is paying attention to how you get out of a chair because we're all going to sit at some point throughout our day. So whether it is sitting on your toilet to go to the bathroom or sitting on a chair, how you get up off the toilet or up out of the chair you can use that, that's a form of a squat. And so some things you can pay attention to as you do that are, do you push down with your hands on your legs or push down on the chair to help leverage yourself up? And what's it like to gradually decrease that? So you're actually relying on your leg strength to push you up. Another thing to pay attention to is as you stand up, Do your knees move forward over the front of your feet? And if they do, that means you're relying more on your quadricep muscles, the muscles on the front of your thighs, to do the bulk of the workload, and less, you're asking less of your glute muscles. So if you can back your knees up, and it will feel like you're sticking your bottom out behind you, So that the shin is more vertical, then you're asking more of your glutes as you're coming up out of that chair or off of the toilet versus the quads. The quads are still doing some work, but the more vertical you can keep your shins and the more backed up you can keep your pelvis in order to achieve that, the more the glutes are being asked to work and the more focus you're going to put on those muscles and help them develop the strength that they need to be able to support the pelvis in a variety of roles not just when you're squatting so those are those are two things uh the third thing is to if you look at your feet as you're getting up just check to see are your feet turned out and if so can you bring them a little bit closer to forward facing so that the outside edges of the feet are straight. And that's also going to set your glutes up in a position to participate more fully compared to in a turned out position. And again, it's not that the glutes don't work when we're turned out, but if from a pelvic floor stability perspective, having the feet closer to straight is ideal.
0: That is another fascinating aha moment because of just paying attention, being aware of what your body's doing and how it's moving. Mhm. I haven't been pregnant in 11 years, but I ha- I sit a lot and I had noticed, I started paying attention to how I move and I noticed that every time I was washing dishes, every time anytime I was n- standing near any sort of structure, Mm -hmm. I would lean into it. Yes. Yeah. I'm so glad you brought that up. Yeah. (laughs) So I would do the dishes and I would like lean into the counter and have the counter support my body instead of like taking an inch away and then feeling my core work more. Yes,
1: absolutely. And that's something that's another thing I would like to add onto the list of what people can do is... Mm Back the pelvis up so that your pelvis is stacked over your ankles rather than drifting over the front of the feet. And that's really, really helpful for pelvic stability. Uh, Some women experience a lot of pubic symphysis discomfort, Mm -hmm. pelvic discomfort. So backing the pelvis up then asks the glute muscles to participate more in stabilizing you in that upright position, which then also helps to stabilize the pelvis. And it changes how we're loading the pelvis. So if we've got the pelvis thrust forward and then we have this growing baby in uterus, we are... uh, we're using things differently than what would be optimal. And backing the pelvis up sets us up for more stability, more support, and a better position for the uterus and better support for optimal position of the baby as well.
0: Mm -hmm. And it's the same thing that I hear a lot of like, if you're doing pelvic tilts while pregnant, as the baby grows, right? the weight comes forward. So you're spine tends to be in that like no matter where you are it tends to be in that yoga sort of cow position where it's stretched like angled arch forward yeah and i think we have to also look at what
1: what does the body really naturally do versus what is common and are we seeing so much of that because most of us lack the strength and other muscles to counteract that. So if we're used to having the pelvis thrust forward in our pre-pregnancy life, the odds of that continuing or even increasing during pregnancy are pretty high. And so that is going to create increased curve in the lower back, which can create back discomfort Um, and, Backing that pelvis up is really, really helpful for correcting that and for also giving the muscles on the backside of our body a chance to develop in response to what's happening on the front side of the body so that they can balance each other out, which is also really important postpartum. So when you're holding your newborn, the – newborn the classic posture of holding a newborn is the pelvis is thrust way forward and the chest is up and elevated to kind of help support the baby so that the arms aren't really f- having to f- support the full weight of the baby and in this position of chest up shoulders back pelvis thrust forward we are so vulnerable for back issues i i had my daughter before I knew any of this movement and alignment work and I think she was about 4 months old when I had my first back spasm and being home alone with a 4 month old when you can't move because your back just spasmed is a really tricky situation mm-hmm. and I recommend people I mean, avoid it if at all yeah, possible <laughs> but in retrospect, looking back, I can really see how I set myself up for being vulnerable to that. And I was really good at carrying her in that position of my pelvis thrust forward and my torso tilted back and my ribs elevated up. And so learning how to back the pelvis up before pregnancy and during pregnancy is going to be really, really helpful for after the baby is here and and giving your back a chance to have the support of your core and also giving your arms a chance to participate more in holding the baby so that you're not asking your back to do all of the work.
0: Would the use of baby carriers help to diminish that? positioning? Somewhat. I think baby carriers can
1: be great. I also think we carry our habits into our baby wearing with carriers Mm -hmm. um, as well. So I have seen lots of mamas baby wearing who still have that same pelvis thrust forward, shoulders back behind the pelvis look to them. And Just as an aside, that is a position that is really um, makes you very vulnerable to the diastasis recti and backing the pelvis up, getting the shoulders stacked over the pelvis, relaxing the front of the ribs down, which for most people is going to feel really slumpy. But that is going to put your body in an alignment position that allows the core muscles to work well, which can help prevent diastasis and can also uh, help women recover from diastasis.
0: And I'm so glad you brought up diastasis because that's becoming a really big concern lately. Mm -hmm. Um, And one of the things... I was always wondering is, is it just because you have a growing baby that's stretching that out or is there more to it? And it seems obvious like that there is obviously more to it. Right. Um,
1: Yeah. there. I think there's a lot of factors that go into diastasis and Katie Bowman has a new book out called Diastasis Recti. Uh, I forget the tagline to it, but I highly recommend that book. Uh, to women. And so we need to look at the tension patterns that we carry in our abdomen. Most of us have a habit of pulling our abdomen in and holding chronic tension through our abdominal muscles, which then changes their ability to yield to and stretch in response to a growing baby. So we have tissue that can yield or we have tissue that's resisting and lacks the capacity to relax and yield, which is pretty similar to what we're asking the pelvic floor to do during birth. Um, So if we have moms who um, do a lot of core work pre-pregnancy, they may have a lot of tension in their abdomen that makes them more vulnerable to diastasis because Where is the growing baby going to go? We're going to look at the most vulnerable. Something's got to give. And so the most vulnerable area becomes the linea elbow or that connective tissue that runs down the midline of the abdomen. So uh, abdominal tension. And then also, how are we holding our body? And if we have that habit of thrusting the pelvis forward and lifting the ribs up and out, We're compromising the ability of our core to function well because we're changing the geometry of the attachment points of the core muscles. When the core muscles attach to the ribs and they attach to the pelvis, and they need to be in right relationship with each other in order to work properly. And so when we have these habits of pelvis forward, which one of the contributing factors to that is shoes with elevated heels. So that's one reason why I ditched the the heels. Um, But backing the pelvis up, bringing the rib cage, stacking the ribs over the pelvis really helps the core muscles be able to work well uh, and the way that they were designed to work. So those are pieces that can be um, contributing factors to diastasis. And then Another downside to diastasis is it can create the increases the likelihood of pelvic organ prolapse because we've got uh, a situation where the core muscles aren't supporting structures well. And we often with diastasis have a situation where there's increased pressure in the abdomen, abdominal area, what we call increased intra-abdominal pressure. And then the pressure's got to go somewhere. So it either goes up to the diaphragm, pushes down on the pelvic floor, or pushes out through the front of the abdomen. So it's very rarely just one. We're unique combinations of things. And so things that we can do to decrease our intra-abdominal pressure, the biggest thing is stop sucking it in. And unfortunately, we live in a culture that – really worships the flat abdomen. So if you don't have a flat abdomen, you can feel self-conscious about it and find yourself really sucking it in and holding that tissue in to flatten your abdomen as much as possible. And that can cause real problems down the line. We don't want to have chronic tension anywhere in our body. It's um, detrimental to our health. So, Practicing and relaxing the abdomen is really, really beneficial and helpful.
0: Mm, and it's so unfortunate that we have that like flat yes. abdomen obsession. Because if you look at toddlers walking around, yeah, oh my god, that it's like a mini beer gut. Yep, exactly. <laughs> but
1: then when they need to do something that requires their core, then the shape of it changes. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's a very odd thing that we expect the body to look one particular way all of the time, uh, rather than have an appreciation for, oh yeah, you know, when I'm just sitting, my abdomen isn't being asked to do very much compared to when I'm twisting and reaching for something, then my core, if I'm hanging, then my core needs to support. So yeah, it is,
0: um, It's a strange world we live in. (laughs) (laughs) It is. And I I think the key there is to consider that you want a toned muscle, not a strong, tight muscle. Yeah, we want a toned muscle and we want a muscle that's able to respond
1: appropriately to what's being asked of it. So we also have to then... You know, going back to what we were talking about earlier, how much are we moving in our lives? And if we're moving very little, then we're asking very little of those muscles. So it makes sense that they're not very toned or they're not very strong. But if we change our movement habits, then our muscles will respond to that.
0: And by doing all of these things, you're having, you know, your stomach, your core, your pelvic a, muscle, a floor, everything is more toned if you're paying attention to your movement and your positioning or your posture during pregnancy. So then, when you get to birth and pushing, how does that come into play?
1: Yeah. So then we have. Ideally, we've got a pelvic floor that's been moving and that's been asked to respond all throughout pregnancy and even prior to pregnancy so that when it's birth time, then we have uh, muscles that have good circulation to them. We have muscles that have a healthy tone to them and not excessive tone to them. And we have muscles that are able to respond appropriately and relax and stretch and lengthen to allow for the passage of the baby out into the world without tearing and without um, coming away from attachment points, so we've got we've got this structure that is designed so beautifully to respond to what's being asked of it given the right um, tending and and feeding so to speak and all of these things that we've talked about are ways to start incorporating that into your daily life so that the pelvic floor is able to respond well to this very important occasion of the birth of your baby.
0: And speaking of tearing, I know that's something that a lot of women are very concerned about. Mm-hmm. Um and I get asked often about perineal massage and if mm-hmm. that is something that should be done or not done. Or do you have, what's your thought on that? Do you have other ideas for helping not tear? I think that learning to release excess
1: tension from the pelvic floor is really helpful. Um, I think massage can be a valuable piece of that equation but even having women practice you know when you're standing can you relax your pelvic floor a little bit more without peeing your pants there's very often more tension that we are unconsciously holding in our pelvic floor above and beyond what is required to keep things in that we want to keep things in or that we want to keep in. And so learning to release habitual tension from the pelvic floor can be really helpful when it comes time for birth. Um, Jill Miller is a woman who's developed a technique called yoga tune-up, and she has yoga tune-up Therapy balls, and one of the things she shows in her book called *The Role model, Roll Model*—R O L L model—which is a phenomenal book—she uh, shows how to use them to do some perineal massage. Now, whether or not someone wants to do that during pregnancy is certainly something to check with their care provider about. Um, I recommend going very gently and slowly with that and not just going for the gusto. Um, But I also think that that's something that can be helpful prior to pregnancy. I know Jill did quite a lot of the pelvic floor massage using her yoga tune-up Balls during her pregnancy uh, and did not tear at all. Obviously that's a study of one. Um, so it's difficult to extrapolate to population in general. But I think that, you know we know massage helps to support circulation, it helps to support healthy tissues. I
0: think that can be a good thing. Okay. So things for people to look into. <laughs> to release the tension that they have and, and help relax their their pelvic floor. So having a baby very much relaxes. You get a big stretch in your pelvic floor and your perineum. Mm-hmm. So postpartum, if you're finding things a little more loose or finding that you are now, you never peed when you sneezed, but now that's coming up to play, mm-hmm. what are some ideas to sort of counter that right yeah so we have a big
1: event that's happened and the body is recovering from pregnancy and birth and all of these changes are happening we have hormones that are hormone levels that are changing and we have a baby to tend to and lack of sleep and all of these things are going on so I would say number one is to realize that your body is in this time of great transition and it's going to take time for it to reach an equilibrium that is most likely going to be different than your pre-pregnancy self. So time is important. Rest is important. I think so many mamas are having to do too much too soon because we lack our village unfortunately so rest is important i also think that from some of my physical therapy friends that postpartum you know those first few days after giving birth may be a time when doing some gentle kegels is a helpful and appropriate thing to do you're Reconnecting your brain to that part of your body, you're contracting those muscles that have stretched out. And and I'm not saying do 200 Kegels a day to restore your pelvic floor, but you know, maybe eight or ten spaced out throughout your day, gentle, and being sure to relax after the contraction can be a helpful thing to start restoring that area walking is also a really beneficial pelvic floor movement now everything is also going to depend on How was the mama feeling during pregnancy? What was her body like during pregnancy? Did she have a lot of aches and pains? How much was she moving during pregnancy? How was her birth? Did she have a really difficult, challenging birth? If so, resting might be the most appropriate thing and short walks to go to the bathroom may be the most that is appropriate for her body at that point in time. And then gradually increasing the amount of time that you spend Walking, Maybe walking to the mailbox um, is the next step to do. And then gradual progression. I find in general we tend to do too much, too fast, uh, and push the limits of what our body is ready to do. But gentle movement, respecting your body, appreciating the tremendous transition that it is going through are all important things
0: to do during this time. I love those recommendations. I love the have patience and and with yourself and love yourself mm-hmm. and take yeah. it with baby steps because it's a yes. lot. There's a it lot. Is. Oh my gosh, yeah, Not so much. Yes. Lisa, this has been such a great talk. I yeah, thank could, you. Oh, could talk with you forever, um, <laughs> and but I've got to say, here's my my vote is I think you need to have t-shirts made that say back the pelvis up Ah. (laughs) (laughs) i love it (laughs) i want one of those um if people want to stay in contact with you ask you more questions you know maybe do a session with you or just follow what you're up to what how can they do that
1: Yes, they can find me. My website is lisallc.com, and I've put together a handout for listeners of your podcast so that uh, if, if they would like to be able to you know, have something to hold and look at to refer to some of the tips that I've mentioned during this, if they go to lisallc.com forward slash birthful, they can access the handout there and have that to refer to. Um, and then my email address is lisa at com. So both of those will be good ways to stay in touch and get more information as well.
0: Ah, oh, that's such a thoughtful thing you've done. Well, I am, thank- I'm like, oh. oh, thank you. That's yeah. fantastic that they can do that. Um, oh, and that reminds me. So through the show you gave us a few really good resources you talked about gill miller and you talked about katie's um diastasis book are there any other resources that you really like or love that listeners should look at yeah
1: those are my two favorite ones i also love uh gail tully's spinning babies website which i know you uh connect people to as well um so yeah
0: i think I think those are really really good resources for people to connect to fabulous and then of course look at your resources because i i know those are awesome too yeah i've got uh
1: pregnancy info on there on my blog as well and uh we'll connect people with that if they come to my website for sure fantastic
0: thank you so much for being a show it's been a delight it was my pleasure adriana thank you so much Mamas, I love to hear from you. So share with me your thoughts. And if there's a certain topic you'd like to know more about, let me know. Stay in touch by following Birthful on Facebook or Twitter and subscribe at birthful.com. And if you want to further support the podcast and join my adventure in figuring out how to do things differently, then go to patreon.com birthful and check out all the different pledges and reward levels, including an exclusive monthly Q&A chat and much more. I'm Adriana Lozada. Please join me next week when I'll be talking to another maternity pro to inform your intuition here at the Birthful Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Hey, Mighty One. Did you know that if you started listening to one Birthful episode per day at the start of your pregnancy, your baby would be about three months old before you got through all of them? That is so much birthful. So to ease us into the summer and to help you catch up on your listening, we're going back to releasing one episode per week instead of two. Now you know.